You're visiting the mom next door and our stories of faith. I'm glad you dropped by for a visit. Please stay a while and hear what the Lord has done in the lives of moms just like you and me. I'm wondering, Dusty, how many kids are in the next room at your house? I actually have eight children. Okay. And are they all home right now? They are. Okay. So we are about equal right now today because I have uh, four of my minor children at home. Then my married daughter is here and her four children are out there. So I I think we're kind of balanced and uh, (laughs) we're doing this mom next door thing pretty seriously that um, our homes are places of activity And it's truly real life motherhood, which I love the fact that our motherhood doesn't stop any ministry. It doesn't stop us being in the work of the Lord. It's actually a beautiful work and an act of worship, what we're doing. And so I'm just excited to be able to be here with you and to hear a little bit more of your story. Now for the listeners, I met Dusty about seven years ago when I was planning a homeschool event in Oregon, and I was looking for people to be on the panel of a homeschool questions and answering thing, and uh, I contacted you, and I can't remember if it was you or your husband that did it, but anyway, that's how we initially met, and I really haven't known much of your own personal story until I saw you post on Facebook that you were releasing a book about foster and adopt. And I said, we need to meet. So um, I, I would just love it if you would take a second, introduce yourself, your family, anything you want people to listen to, and you can just jump right in if you want. Okay. Thanks, Pam. Yeah. It's just a privilege, first of all, to share anything about foster care because it's such it's my passion. Um, I'm a mom of eight, like I just shared. Uh, that number changes because we've been a foster and adoptive family. So it uh, depends on when you ask me how many children I have in the other room. But I've been happily married for 18 years now. Uh, my husband, Dwayne Stark, and I, in outside of being a mom, which is my main job, I also have a part-time private practice where I offer counseling and I also do consulting services for foster and adoptive families. That sounds like a very full schedule. It is. Yep. So I think a great place to start this uh, interview is to go back and start with your journey as to how you grew up and where you grew up and what that looked like. Okay. So my early years were with my birth parents and because they were pretty young, they had my brother at 16 and my mom was barely 19 when she had me. They were still in that phase of wanting to be young. And so uh, they would do the things with the friends. We'd go to the grandparents on the weekend and all of that. But that started turning more into a party lifestyle. And unfortunately, they got caught into addiction. And so all of that is kind of the beginning of the breakdown of our family. So I was back and forth, me and my brother with my grandparents on and off. We would spend a year living at my grandparents, going to a particular grade. And then we might try to live with our parents again, either my mom or my dad. And so we lived in California a little while, and then we'd come back to Oregon and then we'd go to Eastern Oregon and come back to the grandparents. And so 
um, my middle school years were the most tumultuous where I feel like uh, the bouncing around, I was with friends and different situations that, you know, my dad would end up in jail or something. And so then I'd end up back at my grandparents' house. And then I was able to stay with my grandparents from my eighth grade year on and graduated high school able to kind of have one stable home and primary caregiver situation. So that backstory is really a lot of my why as far as understanding what it's like to just need safety, security, and kind of everything else is built on top of that. And so uh, a big piece of my story that I can't go without sharing is that I um, have a younger sister that was born when I was 11. And she has a different dad, but she stayed with mom and dad till her mom and dad till she was about three. And we lived together on and off during that time. But she actually ended up going into foster care and was adopted by that family. So that was a very devastating time in my life to have such a loss with not getting to grow up with my sister like sisters do. But we were able to have the beauty of Uh, open adoption. And this is God's faithfulness in my life is that even despite the family circumstances and the addiction and all of those things, uh, she was adopted by a believer and she was open to us having a relationship. So I was able to connect with her also like a second mom and that really bridged all of that. And so me and my sister still have a relationship to this day. So that's a huge part of this as far as my, my story, I feel like is very much to God's glory. Yeah, that sounds amazing. So the adoptive family of your sister were people of faith. They were believers. How about your grandparents and your own parents? I mean, it's not like Christian families don't struggle with addiction and things like that too. Yeah, I did not grow up going to church. I went to church with friends as I would stay with their families. So I had it modeled. I did go briefly to a camp for a time, but I actually, I feel like they operated from, my grandma was raised kind of in church. And so she would say verses or she would be teaching almost like along those lines, but they did not attend church and still they don't claim Christ. So, right. So you were aware of it, but it wasn't something being lived out really in front of you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. So the relationship with your sister and all of that really put, planted that seed in your heart to, to, to foster. Is that, I'm like, did you always have, it's like watching her story and which was part of your story. Is that how you were led into doing foster care? And what does that look like now? Yes, I would say just because I think there were ideas about what is a foster child, you know, and when you get out in the world, people may be nervous. I've heard these comments of, oh, I don't know if I would, you know, ever foster because, you know, what kind of behaviors would I be inviting into my home with my children? And, you know, there are some fair concerns around taking in foster children, uh, different backgrounds and behaviors and those sorts of things that you do work through as a family. Though having your sister become that foster child really changes your idea of what a foster child is because she was loved by her family. She did have certain physical needs met and things when she was really young, but there was this whole other beast with addiction and some other things that led to her being uh, taken into care. So 
then to go, okay, this is what a foster child is. This is, I mean, my beautiful, perfect little sister is, is what's considered a foster child. And so even from her standpoint, some people have come to her and said, oh, but you were adopted. Like she was redeemed from her foster child status or something. And so again, it's that same kind of identity struggle with foster and adopt and trying to have that sense of belonging and all of that. And I don't know, like exactly her sense of abandonment, rejection, all that, but I think she does know she's very loved. It was a lot of other factors playing into uh, what led to her going into foster care. It wasn't about love of our family or any of that, but I guess to answer that, my sister was the first kind of, I guess, eye-opening moment when it came to a true like foster child. But my whole life, I would say, really led me to looking at not everybody shows up as meeting all the needs of their children as far as parents. There's different reasons for that. It could be mental health, could be addiction, could be other financial struggles. or I mean, there's so many things that can contribute to uh, parents not being parents sometimes. But now I see the need. There's these children that for whatever the reasons, don't have people showing up for them, but they need that very basic safety security in order to kind of launch into, you think of teaching a kid at school or anything, if they've got a hungry stomach or they don't know where they're sleeping that night. I mean, it's they can't focus on taking in that math or whatever, because there's basics that they need met. And that's my heart is, I guess, just creating awareness that children in foster care are simply children, God's children that need safety and security. And not everybody has somebody to show up for them as a parent. Yeah. It's a risky thing though, when you open your home and it's a risky thing to talk about. I know that there's a lot of concerns uh, that people have before they do that, but yet like, how can you not? We have not done foster care. We have not done adoption, but we are very close to many people who have. And there's ways that we can also support those families. Uh, and, and I think that bringing of awareness and helping us see the heart of it and see the blessing of it um, is so helpful. How does your family feel about like uh, real public? Now you've kind of moved into a little bit of a public life by writing a book about your growing up, your connection with your sister, and now you moving into foster care. How does your family feel about that? Well, my children don't really know anything else. <laughs> so <laughs> from that standpoint, this is just normalcy for them. My husband actually lost his dad when he was 14 and had some men step into his life as mentors. And that changed the trajectory of the type of man that he is today. And so he's very much credits that God showed up for him at that time to provide these men. And really just looking at the research that there only needs to be one person that supports you, believes in you, encourages you and how that can shift your life. And so I would say my family's very much on board with, you know, their siblings are between foster adoption, guardianship. That's how our family's been made up. So for instance, my son who's 16, he has a 16 year old sister and she came to live when she was two. And so he doesn't really have memories before she was here. And they are so close. And I sit down and talk to him. He feels no difference with toward her, toward his birth sister toward because 
they've just always been, they're very connected and attached. And so uh, in that sense, it really just is family to them. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting how our perception of, of that family molds, you know, a funny thing for us is that my daughter was being pursued by a young man while I was yet pregnant with my youngest child. And my daughter ended up getting married when my youngest was two years old, but their entire uh, dating relationship, I was raising my little baby, right? And uh, now my youngest is nine and my son-in-law, who's his brother-in-law, teases him and says, hey, dude, I was part of the family before you was, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And so it's funny because then sometimes, so when they got married, they've moved out of state And for him, they're biologically brother and sister, same mom, same dad, you know, um, were raised in the same home, but at different times. But yeah, so he's like, oh, yeah, she's my sister. Yeah, she's your sister. You know, it's, it's just funny. Yeah. And I just piggyback on something you said earlier about how could you not as far as foster care. And I do understand not everyone's called to this. You know, it's it really is. A mission field. It's opening every aspect of your life. So I just also want to acknowledge that I highly admire all of the people that, you know, I was just seeing today. I went and met a friend at a coffee shop locally and they were collecting backpacks and different things for local foster families. That is being supportive in this ministry. You know, those CASAs that the court appointed special advocates that set aside time just to check in on the kids and make sure that what's in the kids' best interest is being served. And, you know, the the parent advocates that want to walk with the birth families as they're walking through child welfare and how emotional that is and, and just need somebody to be supporting them. And it's just so, there's so many roles. So I would also say in this process, I, it, yes, it's an all call that, you know, children in our community are really all of our children that we want to love on and support and try to help all of them to have a firm foundation in order to grow. But it looks different. You know, it doesn't mean every person has to take someone into their home. Uh, They can do a a lot of different things to be supportive, which, yeah, we can talk more about. But I just want to make sure to highlight that I do I do understand it's a totally different sort of thing. And my look at family is maybe different than a lot of people's because of my background and and having multiple caregivers along the way that were like parents to me. You identified a lot of different roles. We don't realize that. We don't realize how many roles are involved. Uh, I guess our minds go directly to the foster parent and the child, and we don't see those other roles. And uh, you also mentioned like the backpacks and collecting that. And I think sometimes we go through and we we think, are is the child really going to get this? And is it going to make a difference? And it sounds like you're telling me that those those avenues to help are really a benefit and we should keep walking down helping in those ways. Absolutely. I personally have benefited from there's everything from 151 duffel bags that people would pack and put in police cars and mm-hmm. caseworkers would have and they would deliver with the child because sometimes these children come and they literally have nothing. Or I've received a child that was just had messed their clothes and they had nothing else on them. So having something that they can immediately that's new that's theirs that they can bring in and put on their bed and unpack and have some coloring and have 
you know, a clean set of clothes, a toothbrush, some things that are theirs. I mean, that's really invaluable. And we've received quilts people have made that they've given to their local child welfare agency. And I still, many of my children have these blankets that they were brought to my home in, and they're like prized possessions because previous, they may have been in multiple homes. That was something they could take with them each time that they moved. So how significant is that to a child and such a devastating event to be taken from a birth family. And so something to mark and to, to be able to have as a memento. I've also received things like recently, and we hadn't done a whole lot of these, but there was a foster adopt event where they had like a back to school bash and they had dinner. And I went to go just the community, you know, they had inflatables, the kids could jump and visit and, and we could be with like-minded families. And then they had the school ties that were all donated. So people um, that needed those could get them because a lot of our foster families or adoptive families our kinship. So you look at relatives, sometimes it's grandparents raising grandkids, there's different gaps in services, and they're trying to live on a fixed income, and they're trying to get these kids the things they need. And so it's there's just so many areas, I guess I just highlight that I see the communities rising up and what a difference it makes in order to provide for those kids. Yeah, I mean, because it's nothing that anybody plans for, they don't plan to have a child and put them in foster care. And then you don't plan to, like you said, like a grandparent, they're not planning that someday I will be raising my grandchildren. So it maybe isn't right. something that they could have foreseen at all. And even if you sign up for it, you can go in and go, yeah, I'm open to, you can name what ages, genders, that type of thing. But people that just say, yeah, I'll do foster care and they don't give any parameters, you can't keep clothes on hand from zero to 18. I mean, there's just not reasonable to have a storage closet like that. So there are things like that as well that exist where they have foster parent closets so that if you do receive a four month old baby and then maybe, you know, that baby goes home and then it's been four months and you receive a 14 year old boy. So those are totally different needs, you know? And so they have uh, ministries out there like every child too, where they'll make an itemized list in a local uh, venue and say, you know, we could use a bike for the 14 year old boy, or we could use a bouncer or something like that for this baby. And they can post those specific needs. So as communities, that can also be a grassroots way to affect change in community. And I just see those things as being incredibly beneficial because it's direct to that family and what that need is. Okay, so you're a foster and adoption consultant, and I already hear you using words that, or maybe a resource, I think you just shared a resource with us that I have never heard of before, every child. Is that something we should look into? Absolutely. I know they are expanding um, every child, I would just point back to uh, Jillian, um, kind of in Portland area in Oregon, had started this and I know there's a whole team that works and all the way down to Southern Oregon and then I think it's been beyond that as well but she wrote No Sugar Coating it's a foster parent kind of a, a short read for those that are just interested as well but yeah every child really the premise is to try to get the local communities to show up for the children in their area and allow the communities to kind of rise up so that's been I feel like a very impactful ministry because people want to be involved with what's going on around them as well. 
But yeah, they just don't know how. They just don't know what's the best way and what does that look like? So what do you do as a foster and adoption consultant? Just in general, my um, education is I'm a licensed clinical social worker. So I've been in private practice for over 10 years. And because I've been in the foster adopt world for, I guess, 13, 14 years now, it just kind of has naturally happened where people would say, oh, can we connect? I really want to talk to you because this behavior is coming up with my kiddo and I don't know how to manage this or the birth family is coming to town. I would need to kind of have a game plan of what boundaries, what that looks like. So it really just kind of came about from being in the community and being somebody that has been doing this work for a long time. And so people would just call me or I'd become known as, oh yeah, you should totally talk to Dusty Stark about foster care or adoption. So then I get calls about, you know, how did you get started? What did you do? You know, or what's the difference between adopting through foster care or a private agency or international? And so those sorts of questions. So people usually will reach out just whatever the specific needs are, they'll ask those particular questions. So it's just kind of formed itself over the years. So do you have like a list of resources or any specific heroes or mentors that you kind of like push them to or like a PDF that says, hey, here, I'm going to talk to you. Let's go have coffee. But in the end, I'm going to give you a takeaway. Yeah, I continue to build kind of a library of resources on my website, but I have uh, some free content too that I just post as far as following me and the on my Facebook that I'll try to give little courses or go to things. But one of my favorite books is The Connected Child. I would say that's a must read, even if you're not a foster and adoptive parent, but just a parent, because it's all about connecting with the child and being able to see beyond the behavior. And I think that's really important if you're doing trauma-informed parenting is biggest, I guess, difference between regular parenting and trauma-informed parenting is the regular stuff doesn't work, <laughs> but have a lot of trauma. It's like, okay, I'll try this, but you know, it just, it, they get pushed further or, you know, so they real a lot of times just need to be able to, you need to see behind the behavior because as you'll see, like if you were to separate a child and put them in a totally different room, that kind of furthers rejection and abandonment for a child who already feels those things. So to try to do more time-ins or there's a lot of different tools and techniques to try to sit with a child or, or help them to understand that you're unhappy with their behavior, but you see who they are as a child and kind of separating those things um, that they're loved and cherished and that you're unhappy with the behavior so that's kind of some of the the things around that book that I love. So maybe this is a rabbit trail, but you use the word trauma-informed parenting. Could you name some of the potential traumas? What would we, because we think, well, my child was not in a major incident. They were not in something where there was like, graphic, we had to go to the emergency room and it was an immediate, you know, thing. What, so what would it be? Yeah, well, there's so many things that we may not even realize things going on at school where somebody could be being bullied, there could be things I there are the more obvious ones with sexual abuse, physical abuse, yeah, maybe they've seen a car accident or been in a home where there's domestic violence. Uh, erratic behavior, if they have people in their life that use substances, that type of thing where they just don't know what's going to come and it can be unpredictable and they don't know how to act. And so 
there's a lot of things. I would also just say some people grow up in the same home and have a different experience of what that home was, where some feel traumatized. I've heard this in practice too, where maybe somebody felt traumatized by having a spanking where the sibling would say, you know what, we needed that, you know? So it's, it's really a different perspective on the way that they were disciplined, the way that they connected in the home, how they connect at school. So it's hard to, I guess, pinpoint, but I would just say the trauma piece of that can really vary depending on the individual. Did it cause them fear, distress? Is it something that continues to burden them? Do they have nightmares about it? Do they avoid events because of things that remind them of it? It could be a, a lot of different symptoms. I've had children that you had to leave the door open if they use the bathroom. They were very uncomfortable to ever have a door closed or you couldn't leave the room a towel if they were taking a bath. It's a fear thing. So it just depends on what a child's lived. Which has got to make it extremely difficult to recognize or to spot, you know? Some are very obvious because you just start to walk toward them and they cower and they, or they go to a corner or they just start crying. I have a youth that I've parented that they would cry every time it was cleanup time and I couldn't figure it out, couldn't figure it out. And it finally came out in a counseling session that they would be hit the whole time that they would be doing any cleaning up. And so they would have blood gushing and stuff like that. So if you're, sometimes those things come through other avenues too. They don't tell you directly, but you just see this behavior and you can't quite figure out. Another common one would be hoarding food, you know, children that you find granola bars everywhere in their room or things being eaten or they're sneaking food, but you're feeding them consistently. It's that fear, you know, maybe they weren't always consistently fed. So you may see different sorts of things in a foster home where they always have a fruit bowl on the table or they're always, there's always some sort of security for a child to know they can always go to that bowl. They can always get a piece of fruit. That's the type of thing that just being aware of those kind of issues can help with some of those behaviors. No matter what the history of somebody, it seems like whoever I interview, we always circle back down to community. Do you have any ideas of how we can support a family who is doing foster care. And then after that, I would also like to ask you if you can say some words to encourage those who are in the proverbial trenches right now, just serving. Absolutely. So as far as community in the foster world, really you shouldn't do it without community because it is so important to plug in with other people that are living along those lines, because it, the normalcy even of the family's makeup, I mean, we have a very colorful family. And so everything from Asian to, you know, we have white, black, you know, all the different things. And I've been asked even with, so what is there, what kind of dad, you know, I mean, people have no problem asking you the most wild questions in the grocery store, but, <laughs> you know, trying to navigate that as a foster family, when your color, your colors are different, your you look different. And sometimes even I have two sets that most people think, oh, are they twins? I have two 16 year olds and I have two 11 year olds. But if you see them side by side, they look nothing alike. So you wouldn't ask that <laughs> if you saw them. But yeah, so in that way, I would just say the foster world is a unique 
walk. When you walk in a grocery store, the way people treat you, you know, I don't know how many times in a week I hear, wow, do you have your hands full, you know, and all those kind of comments. And so you just start learning, you know, in the right ways, you just have little comments that you have that you are blessed, you know, your kids are super helpful, you're, you're very positive about how to answer those questions, or you just kind of have a pre to those sorts of questions, because you don't want to tell any of your children's stories. You don't want to call them out or, you know, that type of thing. And so it's really helpful to me why I was commenting on going to the community thing with like the back to school bash with uh, the foster collective is, is who ran that one. But there are so many different ministries that they just want to draw together the adoption and the foster communities and their support groups out there. There are different events, just barbecues and things that child welfare will put on. And I would highly encourage people to plug into those things because the obstacles you hit in parenting a foster or adoptive, or they are kind of unique to that, you know, when your child's asking, where do I come from? You know, what, what does my dad look like? And all these kinds of questions, those aren't things that as birth parents, you're, you necessarily have to navigate, or you don't have to be sensitive about thinking about, you know, how do I say this in a way that they can get the message I want them to get, you know? And so I would just, yeah, highly encourage that if you are in this foster adopt or even thinking about it to plug in and start the training. Um, they have everything from like six weeks in a row for a couple of hours, or you can do it an intensive weekend. You can contact your local child welfare agency and they can walk you through what exactly needs done as far as if, you know, there's a safety checklist for your household. So yes, do you, I have a bed for the child? Do I have the fire extinguisher? You know, are there locks on, so that type of thing, very practical things they can walk you through also to become a resource. Um, but I would say definitely plug in with the community because they will answer those questions. They can walk with you through the hard things and even the beautiful things where it's like, oh my gosh, it's been this many days and they're finally adopted or, you know, that type of thing. So it's been wonders for me to be able to have a church community to be able to have a foster adopt community. And then even in our family system, how welcoming our family has been to our children. And so the grandparents, you know, they remember the birthdays for all our children. You know, we celebrate as a family, each child that comes into our home. And that also sometimes has to be navigated with the family before you get the child place. Like, hey, we're doing this you know, and kind of talking with everybody because not every family is that way. Not every family has that buy-in. And I have heard the pain of not having community where maybe only the two birth children are getting the birthday gifts and then the other children are getting ignored. And that is extremely painful to a child who already feels displaced. Uh, so that's, I guess, my little plug for the community to also be supporting the foster adopt journey to be able to see every child as important. Every child is God's child. Yes. Do you have additional words for a mom who she's at the grocery store and she is seriously struggling with the words, like even being a big family and going into the store, people say the craziest things, you know, like I'm, you know, derogatory things. And then you think, do you realize what you just said in front of my child? You know, we want to protect their little hearts and protect their little minds. And so that's got to be a, a really unique tension to say, I want to share the beauty of foster care and I want people to be involved, but yet 
Um, I also don't want to call out my children and put them on display in an uncomfortable way too. So th- I know there's there's moms listening that are probably right there. Yeah, for me, I would just encourage that you know what God has called you to and you live for God alone. And so people will have their thoughts, their opinions, their judgments, their criticisms, maybe their flattery and their admiration or whatever, but ultimately we answer to God alone. And that might sound easier than, than done, you know, where we, I've had the kids where they, you know, threw their body on the ground, throw the shoe. I've had a guy pull one of my olders aside and say, is everything okay at home? You know, because he's watching these kids just like flail and throw their body. And I'm, don't know what they're going through at home that we're dealing with a transition that I have a family member on the East Coast and they're going to be moving. And I mean, they have no idea and I'm not going to be talking to them about it. And so there comes back to that, you know, I've been that mom who's gone out to my car and literally steering wheel and just bawled for a few minutes before I could drive because it was so stressful and so overwhelming in different ways. And so I guess I just say, I see you, I get you. And it is worth it. God has a plan for that child and for you that is better than you could think of on your own. And he, as hard as it is to believe, but he loves that child even more than you do because he is love, right? And so if we operate from that, whatever we're navigating, we feel like we're failing or it's a struggle or did I do the right thing? You know, am I breaking my my other children in the home by taking in this one? And there's behaviors and all this chaos that I've invited into my life. But God is using all of those events for the betterment. I believe I've seen it over and over and again in my children. Their character has been grown through foster and adoption. They are the most generous, open, loving children that will they see needs where other people may not have the eyes to see because they have these siblings. They have people that have, they've been able to see with substance abuse and all the different ways that it's impacted our family. And it's only grown us through hard. I would just encourage that God has a plan through the hard and that he uses even the hard things for good. Yes. For sure. For sure. Well, I don't want to let you slip away without telling me about the book that you've just written and released. Yes. So I wrote a book, Legacy of Love, Fostering Children. And this was a journey because I didn't start thinking I was going to write a book. So I was grieving, really, uh, loss of a foster youth that I had for 16 months and then uh, was returned home. And so I went just kind of as a healing, I sit at coffee shops, sometimes cry, write down all the feelings. And I just thought, you know, as I kept filling pages, you know, maybe God can use this. And then I really felt prompted, like I need to tell my story, which isn't always comfortable, right? To tell about your childhood things that you're like, oh yeah, our family, you know, I was here, I was there, this happened. And so, but I really felt called to do that. So I wrote kind of my story. And when I was first writing, I wasn't thinking of it being in a book. So it was maybe easier now that it's in print and out there for people to read. It's kind of like my diary out loud for part of it. But um, I really feel like that is our testimony to be able to use those things in our past. And instead of standing in our story is to stand on it. Like this has happened and God has used those things in my life. And so that's how I feel about as far as this book, just my journey And then also some lessons that I've learned uh, through being kind of in the foster world. So I was not personally a foster child. As far as my knowledge, I did have people that care gave me and they received services for that. But 
um, it was, I was primarily within my family system. So my grandparents would take me in or, you know, some friends, my dad would go to jail or something. I'd live with them for a couple of months. You know, I went with some different family members in Alaska for a summer, things like that, just to kind of bridge the gaps. But it wasn't until my sister that it kind of, then I was really with the child welfare system where there were, you know, visits and that type of thing where I could see it from a birth family perspective of going to see my sister at a visit. And then she was living in a foster home. And so not until my adulthood, now it's been 14 years that I've been fostering as a foster mom. And so a bit of my child welfare experience and uh, poured out on the page in a memoir slash kind of foster care tips and tools kind of book. And you named it Legacy of Love. Yes. So I think all of us want a legacy, right? We want something that outlives us. And for me, receiving that love and God giving me the resources that I needed, provisions, has really prompted me to want to pour that out. And so that is what I do in what I see foster care as is a legacy of love is to be able to pour into children. And that's really, I feel like my passion and mission. So where are they going to find you online and how are they going to get the book? Yeah. So I have a website and it's www.dustystark.com. And there's also Extending Grace Consulting. So either of those will get me. And I'm on Facebook and it's, uh, I think, Dusty.Stark1. So you can follow me there as well. And I'm going to go ahead and put those links in the show notes. So anybody who doesn't have a pencil and paper, you know, most moms, I think, listen to podcasts while they're driving or doing laundry or doing dishes. So uh, I gotcha. It's down in the show notes. Dusty, I just wonder if you would mind closing us in a word of prayer and however the Lord leads. God, thank you so much for this opportunity. Ultimately, just connecting with Pam again. Thank you for her heart for children and for moms that she has this podcast to impact so many. Just thank you for those that are listening and open to hearing what you have for them. And I do pray that each person listening would be able to hear exactly what you have for them and what their role is with the children in their community. And as moms, as we want to show up for our children, they all have different needs and different behaviors. And maybe we think we conquer one thing and then another thing comes up. But God, you have us and you walk with us daily. You give us wisdom. And so I pray that as my book is coming out and as people listen to this podcast, just pray only glean what you would have for them, that it would ultimately bring you glory through my trials that you've walked with me. Just let it be a testimony of your faithfulness. Just thank you for this podcast and all those that have walked with me as well, my husband, children, and uh, coaches, mentors. And also I feel led to mention Dr. DeGarmo, who specializes in foster care. So just pray over his ministry as well and all that he's done to support me in this and getting this book out and god just thank you that you've called each of us to different missions and that we all support each other to the goals that you ultimately have caring for the orphan the widow there's no truer religion than this so just praise you for the opportunity to come alongside in this work and that you would give exact next steps for each mom listening in jesus name amen amen you know, a few weeks ago at our church, I attended a women's event and it was testimony. 
it was testimony after testimony. And I really recognized it then as I do now. Um, We see someone today and we know who they are today, but we (laughs) often don't know the story of where they came from. And sharing your testimony, Dusty, and sharing where you came from is a great glimpse of how God cares for us through the years and brings us to where we are today. And so I thank you for sharing that with us. And I I just want to encourage other moms who want to walk this road of faith with others who want to learn each other's stories and be that cheerleader in the journey. Come join me over on Facebook because I have a mom's group and it's called tending fields mom's group really fancy there. And, um, we just love to encourage each other to pray for each other and to talk about the practical things in life, um, as well as some of the struggles. And it is, you know, we, we would not know we peel back where each of us was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago, but God is with us. He journeys with us and he is building our stories of faith. So if this has been an encouragement to you, Please take a minute and subscribe to the podcast, like it, leave a review, and you could also share the episode in through your social media channels and doing that other people will be able to hear this message. So thanks so much for being with us today and we'll see you again soon. Thank you, Pam. I hope that you've been encouraged or challenged in your faith today and that something we discussed prompts you to grow deeper in your walk with the Lord. If it has, make sure you tell a friend so they can grow along with you. And if you or a friend would like to be a guest and share about God's faithfulness in your life, please email me at podcast at Because when we tell of God's faithfulness, we never run out of stories. Whatever is true.